Well, hello, everybody, and have your Bibles open. And I know some of you walk when you're listening to the podcast, but I hope you do take time to open up your Bible and follow through because it is important to see these words in God's Word because we know that this is my Bible. I believe it is God's Word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. And so we want to make sure we're hearing from Him and uh, in His words. So would you pray with me, please? Father, we come to you, and we do believe this is your words, and you are talking to us, not only to remind us how much you love us, but also instruction on how you want us to live. And you do. You want us to live um, with less consequences, and this is what we're going to see in this lesson today. You want to prevent us from falling into our own self and then having to pay the consequences because every sin will be dealt with. And so, Father, we thank you for the sternness of your word as well, the convicting of your word so that we can learn, so that we can get off the wrong path and onto your path of victorious living, abundant living, satisfied, content. Lord, we just thank you for loving us so much to give us all that we need for your spirit to be able to help us do what we can't do for ourselves. And Lord, we are so grateful that you make sure that we do have what we need. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week I told you to kind of look in what happened between Acts 4 and Acts 5. I mean, we leave Acts 4 and, and the church is just so unified. They're getting along so well. And then we hear about Barnabas and he was probably a, a wealthy man and sold a portion. And maybe he wasn't. Maybe he didn't have that much land, but yet felt compelled to share. Because when, the, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when there's needs around, we have the inclination to do something about it. And that's exactly what Barnabas did. He sold a piece of his, of his field, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet, and it was their job then to disperse it where it was needed. Because, like we said, it, there's people of all kinds. There was different social status, different wealth. There was the rich and poor. There was there was all kinds of people, and and yet they were unified with one thing in mind, and that is they all needed Jesus. They all needed a Savior. And where someone might materialistically need needed something in one area, someone else had a, an abundance. And it was just that, that constant share. And I just thought it was so beautiful. And the church was in such a good spot. And then, then we see that white space between chapter 4 and chapter 5. And what's in that white space? And unfortunately, this is human nature at its worst. And, and I say that maybe human nature at its best, because yet we have to see that in and of ourselves, we are not good people. We are not righteous people. In and of ourselves, we do need a savior. We do need the redemptive power, the 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 power in the blood of Jesus to forgive us and cleanse us from our sins. And we need to always keep that in mind. 
I just think of how many times I go to the cross in, in a day. It just helps me to keep things in perspective for my own self and in my actions. Well, you need to do that. Otherwise, self gets in the way and, and it comes creeping back. And sometimes I think we were, we look at Ananias and Sapphira and, and we think that they were just wicked and bad people. But you know what? I think they were church people. They, they were... They were in chapter 4, and they were a part of that beautiful church of sharing. So what in the world happened? Well, see, if we don't work at it, if we don't stay committed to God's word and self-denial and, and making sure the Holy Spirit is running in our life and we see the fruit of his spirit instead of the fruit of self, and this is what you're seeing. You're seeing the fruit of self come out. And, and what Ananias and Sapphira probably, I'm just surmising, but they probably watched Barnabas and maybe there were others that were, were sharing. And, and can you imagine the, the thank yous that Barnabas got from this land that he sold and the needs that the apostles were able to, to fulfill and maybe some of those people that were recipients of Barnabas's generosity, maybe maybe they asked the apostles, oh, "Who can we thank?" And and maybe they told them, and 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 you know, it feels so good to have a have praise, to be patted on the back, to to be appreciated. And there's a fine line. I think we do need to encourage one another and we do need to say thank you. But there's such a fine line in when you receive someone's praise or their thanks, the tendency to want to think that it was about you, that you did it. And when, when you fall into that, that, that fine line and you head in one direction versus the other, see, when you're, when you're walking a fine line, it's hard to stay on that line. In fact, you can't. So you then, it's kind of like a tightrope. You're, you're walking that tightrope and it's just not easy to do. And you're either, you're either going to go in one direction or the other. And you're either going to go in the direction of, I know that everything, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything that I am is because the Lord has given me the ability, so I can't take credit for myself. And so you make sure you always know your place. And again, going to the cross, making sure you see that in and of yourself, you are really nothing. But with him... With, your, with the Holy Spirit now working in your life, it just changes all that selfishness into selflessness. Or the tendency, again, if you're not grounded in God's word, if you're not desiring to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you and you're listening to him, you're going to fall into that, that human nature category, which is self-consumed, self-centered. So instead of looking at the thank yous as, well, thank you. In fact, you know, I'm going to tell you a little story I heard about Corey Tinboom. 
She was a wonderful, wonderful um, elderly woman. And in her lifetime, she lived in the Netherlands and, and her family housed Jews during World War II. And, and she told the story when she came to the States and she became a really well-known speaker and she wrote books and just, oh, what a beautiful, beautiful heart. And she would tell her stories and so many people would come up to her afterwards and they would tell her, oh, Corey, I, I was so touched by what you said and, and you helped me in my life so much. And you know, it's hard to take compliments if you, maybe you have that too. And Corey has taught me so much about how to take a compliment and how to make sure that I keep myself in the right place instead of falling into that, well, I guess I am kind of good at this or, you know, oh, I don't even want to go there. But she said that that the way she would take compliments is when somebody would tell her that, she would just simply and graciously say thank you. But she says in her mind, she would picture every compliment as a flower. And then she says at the end of the day, before she would go to sleep at night, she would take all of those flowers and she would put them together and then she would hand them over to Jesus because she knew that everything that she was able to talk about was because of Jesus in her life. And so she didn't go into great big things when people gave her a compliment. She just, she just said, thank you, because in her mind she knew that it was, it was the Lord, it was the Spirit of God working in her. And so then she would hand that bouquet of compliments over to him every day. And see, that just helps to always remind yourself that this, anything, anything we say or do, anything that has any eternal worth, we know that it is because of God's Spirit working in us. I think it also reminds us of the believer's prayer last week when, when the apostles went to that group and and told them all what had transpired about being in, in prison and all this kind of thing. And how the believers just went right into this prayer and made sure that those apostles were fortified and, and ready to um, be refreshed and renewed so that they could continue to go back out there and do their job. But then in the second part of their prayer, it was like they were reminding the apostles, but always know that it's, it's Jesus working through you. He's just using us and giving us the wonderful opportunity to be used by him. I mean, it is to me the ultimate compliment to think that the Lord Jesus wants to use you and I. So, you know, there's that we're always fighting that human nature. And I think that's what we're seeing as we begin chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, they were walking that tightrope and they were walking that fine line and they were hearing all the, the accolades and the thank yous and they thought, man, you know, we've got a piece of land that we could sell. But they didn't quite have the heart to be able to graciously hand it all over. So they concocted, 
And that's what it is. They concocted a plan. So it goes like this. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, See, now here, we just stop for a second because you can picture this. Remember I said Acts is a book full of action. It's full of the acts of the apostles and of the people responding to the gospel. It's also great lessons. And again, when, when Luke is writing this and he's, he's being informed of all these details and he doesn't want to miss this part because again, it exposes human nature. This is what we're fighting against continuously. And the quicker we learn that we're fighting this human nature battle, that we're fighting self all the time, the better we're at. Because then we will make sure that we do keep going to the cross and we keep making sure that we realize that our righteousness, anything good in us, in us comes from him. So these two, it's just like all of a sudden the spirit of God got pushed off the throne of their life. Because all of a sudden self got in the way and they wanted the praise, they wanted the accolades, but they didn't quite want to give it all. And so they're thinking, who's going to know? Who's going to really know? The two of us, we've got our story straight. But they totally, they totally underestimated how God was using the apostles and gave them the ability to show this early church that he does not put up with sin. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Now that's quite a verse, and that's quite a verse that you need to kind of go through line by line, word for word, because Peter said that Ananias is now filled his heart with Satan. Now that's that's quite, I mean, it would be easier one to say, well, Ananias, you filled your heart with yourself. But he put it in the exact terms he is. Now, when you come to know Christ as your Savior and you are now filled with his spirit, the spirit now comes to indwell you. You then have choices. You now can push the Holy Spirit aside and let self control you or you can daily work at keeping the Holy Spirit in control of your life. And it is hard work. But your behavior, your actions well, there's such a day and night difference in, in what comes out of you then. Now, if you, if you have Jesus as your Savior, I just want to reassure you that you can no longer be possessed with Satan. You can't be absolutely possessed by him. 
but he can wheedle and work with your own human self. That's why it is very truthful what Peter said, Ananias. How is it that you let Satan work with your human self and fill your heart thinking that, oh, that's okay. Then by saying that this wrong is okay, you are lying to the Holy Spirit who is trying to tell you that it's not okay. You're just lying to the Holy Spirit saying, it's okay, it's fine. I'm, I got this handled. So you do have to look at that. Satan cannot possess a believer. But Satan still loves to toy with that word self and work self because he knows how easy we fall to it. How we want the accolades and the praise. How pride and greed want to take over our life. We don't want to admit it, but it's just human nature. And when you let that human nature control you, then you are lying to the spirit that resides in you. It's kind of like what, what Jesus said, you, you quench. You quench the Holy Spirit. So when you quench God's spirit, that means it's like, yeah, I picture it like you, you kind of thumb him down. You keep him, you keep him down. You keep him not able to do his work in you. See, we've got that choice every second of every day. Who's going who's gonna to run my mouth for this second? When I'm confronting this difficult person, who am I going to let control my thoughts and my words and my deeds? When I'm handling this decision, who is in control? Who am I letting take a hold? Who am I listening to wisdom or am I listening to folly? That's what Solomon talked about in the book of Proverbs. And when you, when you take over, when self takes over, you are lying to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. You know, Peter was given the ability to know, but I think it's very important that you and I know and, and we're constantly reminded of, because I know I'm not telling you anything new here, but I might be reminding you in case you have veered off and you need to be reminded that you might be fooling people around you, but you are not fooling God. God knows that little bit of deceit. God knows that your thoughts and your actions are two different things. God knows the motive behind what you're doing. And so Peter said, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? I mean, it was, it's up to you, it's yours. You had every right to do with it as you see fit. And after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, 
but to God. See there again, that hidden motive. He knows. And if Peter hadn't been given that ability, nobody would have known. But the thing is, even though we might be able to get away with something, do we really want to live like that? Knowing that God knows and we, we know he is disappointed. He is hurt. This kind of behavior is totally contrary to what his instruction for his children is. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Now, again, remember how picturesque Acts is to get yourself in the story. Wonder if you were there and you were watching all this transpire and he's caught. He is busted. And instead of being reprimanded, Peter just simply says, why did you do this, Ananias? You didn't have to give it all. This wasn't required. You could have just given us part of it, and that would have been wonderful. Instead, instead of being reprimanded, what God did was he just laid him out dead. And then, then look, it's this in great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Yeah, great fear seized all who heard. I mean, I'm sure that story got out really fast. Then the young men came. They came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. I bet that wasn't very many minutes. He comes in, he's expecting all of this, thank you, thank you. And instead he's confronted with the question, why? And because God knew his motive and his heart, God wanted to make sure that the early church knew that he does see it and he hates sin. And it's sin that will divide and, and cause dissension and arguments. So right away, he wanted to make sure that a, a judgment was put on Ananias. And what a reminder for us all that it might look like we're getting away with things now. But there is going to be a judgment. And it's something to really think about. God takes sin seriously. And if sin isn't dealt with at the cross, then sin will be dealt with at judgment. But just know it will be dealt with. No one gets away with anything. I think it's quite chilling. I can understand why great fear seized all. And then in verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, 
Sapphira, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? I mean, he gave her a chance. He gave her a chance to be able to come clean. To let her conscience be her guide. To let the Holy Spirit do his work. We all make mistakes. We all fall into the trap of human nature. We all let pride and greed and wanting the praise of men. We all fall to that. But the thing is, we have to know the consequences. And so Peter has given her an opportunity to come clean so that she doesn't have the same consequence. In your questions, I thought this was quite a thought-provoking question when I said, how does sin get passed from one person to another? When those two, when those two decided to come up with a plan, it's kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden. Just remember, sin gets passed from one to another only by their choice. Because anywhere along the line, it can be stopped. But sin can look so good. It can look so fun. It can even look right and fair. But just remember that sin is is like the devil dangling a piece of chocolate cake in front of somebody who is on a diet. He makes it look so good and appetizing, but just remember, sin can only get passed to the next person if they let it. Sin can make that person grab that piece of cake and eat it. We can make sin look enticing and that's where that's 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 where it gets really tough because we can make it look very enticing. But the sad thing about it is she had the choice to come plink clean, but she chose to take the bait, take the chocolate cake and eat it. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? See, this is another clue that I have that they were a part of the the Acts 2, 3, 4 movement. Because Peter knew that the Holy Spirit was inside of her trying to work. How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look how powerful self can be. And see, the Holy Spirit, I remember hearing once that God is a gentleman. And he doesn't push his way. He makes it very clear, but we always have a choice. Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry out, carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down 
right at his feet and died. There was her judgment. See, sin will be dealt with. And and you're probably kind of smirking, thinking, boy, I'm glad that doesn't happen today. There won't be anybody alive. Well, you're right. But don't, mark my words, mark my words, don't think that it is getting skirted under the rug. Every sin will be dealt with. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Great fear seized the whole church. And this was God's whole point. In that early church, he wanted them to make sure they understood this lesson about sin and consequences and judgment. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. That took me quite a long time, and maybe it didn't for you, but it, it, I didn't quite understand. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's, in Solomon's colonnade. And we knew that that is the place where Jesus spoke many times, and so, you know, it holds a very special place for Jesus' ministry. But the part that... I had a hard time with was no one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. And what helped me to understand it was verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. They had high respect for the believers People watching, we're looking at believers, and this is another lesson for us. Believe me, people are watching Christians. And if they would really admit it, I I believe that verse 13 is, they didn't quite dare join them because I think people really do know that being a follower of Christ is a serious decision to make. That it changes your life. Nothing's ever the same. That it, this isn't just a flippant thing that, that anybody and everybody can, can do at the drop of a hat. I mean, the gospel is available to all. To me, it is the most beautiful invitation, the most beautiful come. But yet, along with salvation comes responsibility with this new life in Christ. And so people were a little hesitant to just join the bandwagon because they knew that it was, there was going to be a cost. The cost of surrendering themselves over to the 
principles and the, and the words of Jesus. But yet, even though they took it very seriously, they saw what they loved so much, the, the hearts of the believers, the way they took care of each other, the way it was just so totally different than normal, selfish human nature. Nevertheless, even though they knew it was a big responsibility, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. You know, it is so beautiful to watch when when somebody is deciding whether they should come to Christ or not. And they take it seriously enough that they know that not only will their sins be forgiven, but they now are a new creature in Christ. And they think it through and they say, but what I have to gain far is so much better and so much more far-reaching than what I have to lose. I think it is the, the exchange of none other. You lose yourself, which, is, gets, you, which gets you into nothing but trouble. And when you surrender yourself, you gain all what Jesus has promised. And that new change of life and that being made righteous. Oh, what you gain so is so much more than what you give up. But in those couple of verses there, you could almost see people think that through. But what they saw was what they wanted. And whether it just took more... They knew that this was going to change their life. It was worth it to them. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. That was the first time that you hear that the gospel is now reaching beyond the Jerusalem walls. They were bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits and all of them were healed. You know, they were learning. They were learning something new about the gospel. And just like Jesus was kind of known as the miracle worker, it got the crowds, it got people together so that Jesus could explain to them what he came to do for them. The same thing in the early church. They were used to, the apostles were given the ability so that crowds would come and people then would listen to the message. So as you can see, it was working. People were coming from all over to bring the sick. And there again, it's so easy, I'm sure. I mean, look at, they were even wanting to get in Peter's shadow. 
You know, if it wasn't if it wasn't for the apostles being so committed and making sure that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, can you imagine how that would go to your head? Thinking that these people just wanted to get in your shadow. But I think the apostles were always reminded of the of the prayer. When the when they're when their friends prayed for them, make sure they always know that anything and everything that they can do is because of you, Lord. Then the high priest and all of his associates. Now, now we're going to see a flip side. Here you see all the people thronging. and But then... Here's the other side. The high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. And I underlined that because here were these religious leaders so filled with themselves which then wanted all the attention and the accolades and so they were jealous. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. You know what would have been the best scenario if these these leaders would have come on the apostles' bandwagon? Wouldn't it have been great if the leaders of the church said, let's just all put all of our eggs in this basket together. Let's join forces for the sake of God's kingdom, for the sake of the gospel of Christ. But remember, like we said last week, they chose to ignore the truth of the message because they were so consumed with themselves. So then the consequence is jealousy, They arrest the apostles. They throw them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And the angel said, Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. So the angel of the Lord opens up the doors, lets the prisoners come out, lets the apostles come out, but then has this firm instruction. Go stand in the temple courts, which means stand in the public Don't just uh, go to someone's house and keep it secret. No, stand where everybody can see, where everybody can hear, and tell people the full message. In other words, don't whisper, don't cut corners, don't just say the part that makes them feel good. Don't be afraid of saying things that might get you into some trouble. 
but it's the truth and it needs to be said? The angel was very specific. You go and you, with all confidence, tell the full gospel. You tell the whole story. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts. I'll tell you, when I read that verse, you just got to smile because you know that this is not going to settle right. You just almost can feel what's going to happen. And yet, there they are, no fear. With high confidence and obedience, they began to teach the people. And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. This time they called the full assembly of the elders of Israel. And they sent to the jail for the apostles. So they've got the whole Sanhedrin. Pharisees and Sadducees and high priests and leaders and rulers. So they want to go get the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with a guard standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Look, they, they knew, down deep, they knew. They didn't like it one bit, and they, they, but yet they know that the people could stone them because they were believing so in what the apostles were teaching. This had been quite a sight. Having brought the apostles they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And this is how they started. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. You talk about ignoring. They can't even say the name of Jesus. We gave you strict instructions. We gave you strict orders that you are not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So not only are you disobeying our orders, but you're trying to make us look like the guilty party. Peter 
And the other apostles replied. And again, not intimidated, because you've got the whole sandy urine right in front of you. You've probably got the most outspoken ones with all the authority making sure that they hear you disobeyed orders. And yet, not a bit intimidated. That is, again, such a beautiful trait of being filled with the Spirit. You don't have to put your head down to anybody. You are a child of God. And you do not have to fear. And you can see it. We must. We must obey God rather than men. Remember, Peter and John tried to tell them in last week's lesson when they were ordered not to talk in, his, in this name. Peter said, we can't help it. When your life has been changed, you just want people to know. Just like Luke is trying to write this so that Theophilus gets the point. I can't keep quiet, Luke says, because Theophilus, I want this for you. And Peter here, we must. We must obey God rather than men. We can't help it. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he, Jesus, might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Now that, that is it in a nutshell. We must tell this story because this story is the truth. And this is the one time when you can go against anything or anyone else. It's when they are keeping you from making a stand for the truth of God's word. Somebody cannot make you not be able to express what Christ has done for you. And if somebody tries stifling you from saying that, we can again with all confidence like Peter say, but I must obey God rather than man. Now again, it might not end pretty, but that is the one time when we can stand against authority because we stand for the ultimate authority in Christ Jesus. I think this is why I still, even though our nation is going through such struggles right now, and yet I still am so grateful for this country and the freedoms that we still have that I still want to utilize. Because I was able to walk into this room today 
and turn on the recorder and open my Bible and pour my heart out to you about Jesus and his salvation. And that salvation is found in none other. No one kept me from doing that. When we go to our churches on Sunday, we still are able to walk in the door. But we don't know. Maybe the day will come. And that's why we need to hide his word in our heart. So that if we are ever stopped, that we cannot. If someone says that we cannot talk in Jesus' name. then we just say, well, we have to. I must obey God rather than man. Because he's the only one that we can repent to and he will be the one who will forgive our sins. The apostles went on to say in verse 32, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Oh, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, he was Paul's teacher. He was held in the highest of respect. He stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men, the apostles, be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. In other words, don't be so hasty. Think it through. How often don't we react with our emotions? He's trying to calm them down, saying, now I want you to consider carefully what you intend to do. And we know what they intended to do. They wanted to put him to death. Some time ago, so he's now going to give two examples some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, and I just, I want to stop here because I want to make sure that you know that this isn't Judas Iscariot. This is Judas. He was a Jewish leader. He was a zealot who tried to rise up Jewish people to stand against Roman taxes. Tried to, he tried to convince them that you don't have to pay him. But unfortunately, the consequences to that was so terrible. And then that's why, that's who this is. Just so let me read this again after him. Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. 
and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, and so this is Gamaliel's, this is his point. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, like Theudas or Judas the Galilean, it will fail. It'll peter out. But this is where Gamaliel's got wisdom. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And in so many words, he was basically saying, and that's pointless. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. And that was just so unnecessary, so undeserved. Because a flogging was like a beating and a rip the skin off their back. This wasn't just a little spanking. This flogging was terrible. So the apostles were flogged and then they were ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They thought that this flogging would kind of show them their authority and power. And they thought that that would probably quiet them down. That, that they wouldn't do it anymore because after all, this flogging would really show them but look how this chapter ends. It, it shows, and I know you know this verse, and I know it well too. It's Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will let the Holy Spirit help you recall what you know about your God and what he's promised you. And instead of being afraid, instead of cowering and keeping their mouth shut, and feeling sorry for themselves and being discouraged, throwing in the towel, quitting. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And in my Bible, this time the name 
is capitalized. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. So it didn't matter about the size. Wherever there was an opportunity, maybe there was a handful of people in a house, but they were invited. Or maybe there was a crowd of people at the temple courts. It wasn't the numbers. They were being faithful to the message. That is such a valuable lesson too for us. I know that in, in my singing, I had so many younger singers coming up to me and asking me, what's your formula? We want to do exactly what you're doing. And I know what they were asking. How could we bypass all the little things so that we can sing at all the big things. And my answer to them was, you've got to get self out of the way. You've got to make sure that you understand that this is about him, not you. And you are willing to go wherever he calls you. And if it's just for a few people, apparently that's all you could handle. And all that the Lord had in mind. Day after day in the temple courts and from the house and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Your Savior, my Savior. The cross did work. The blood did cleanse sin. That's proclaiming the good news. News doesn't get any better than that. People need to hear the greatest news, and that is they have a Savior. And that Jesus is the Christ the chosen one, the Messiah, who can take away the sins of the world. But more importantly, he can take away your sins and my sins and make us new in Christ. The least we can do now is grow and mature and get to know him better and be willing to let his spirit control us because he has allowed us to remain in a world that needs to hear. People need the Lord. And no matter what it takes, may we, may we rejoice in the Lord always. Paul said that in Philippians and he was sitting in the middle of a jail cell. And he said, rejoice in the Lord always, good times and bad. Because you do have a Savior. And his name is Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the truth, just getting back to the fundamentals. That it should change every thought, every motive, every course of action,
when we're at the cross and realize that we did not deserve it. We did not deserve what Jesus was willing to do. But we proclaim the good news that this grace, this amazing grace, how sweet that word sounds, it can and did save a wretch like me. And then may we be like the apostles and say, and I can't stop telling you. I have to obey God rather than man. I cannot stop proclaiming what I know to be true. And everyone, everyone must be saved if they are going to experience the abundant life here as well as for all eternity. Father, may this lesson show us that we have to take sin seriously. That you do know. And that we work and we try by staying in your word, listening to the voice of wisdom, your Holy Spirit, that we do want to be the best we can be for you. It's the least we can do for what you have done for us. And it's in that precious name we pray this. Jesus' name. Amen.